let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, there is an ugly fight going on about terrible conditions, tenant protests, and questionable evictions at an apartment building in DC's Brookland neighborhood. And it raises questions about just what your rights are as a tenant in Washington. Morgan Baskin from DCist has been covering it and is here to tell us what's going on. Today is Monday, July 17th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. You have published this infuriating story about residents in a lower income building who are living in horrendous conditions and then get kicked out after trying to force the landlord to make repairs of those conditions. Am I right in understanding that that's what happened? Just another day in the life. Yeah, it's it's an 18 unit apartment building, like right on the border of Brooklyn in Langdon, DC, Northeast DC. You know, the people who live there live pretty modestly, but as you point out, the conditions are awful. There are active gas leaks in the building that have been ongoing for years, uh, the residents say. They have really, really bad pest issues, cockroaches, you know, they're worried about crime, pretty much anything that you could name, all the garden variety stuff that people complain about, they have gone through it. And now the property manager and owner of the building are suing like 13 of the households in that building for eviction, trying to repossess the units. Wait, so what what happened? Can you explain like the chronology of how they try to force the issue and then what happens to them? I realize it wasn't quite the same for everyone. Sure. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of these cases, it's like a chicken and an egg situation. So as the conditions issues get worse over time, the tenants might complain more to their property manager. But in most cases, things seem to reach ahead last fall. I'll backtrack by saying that most of the people in this building have lived there for several years, like between four and 10 or 11 years for most of them. But last fall, around October, November, things got really, really bad. Um, There was a major gas leak in the building and a lot of people had to evacuate for about a week. And after they moved back in, they were complaining a lot. They said, you know, what's up? We had to get help from the Red Cross because the owner of the building didn't offer to put them up anywhere. They had to pay out of pocket for a lot of this stuff. And it was around that time that they really started organizing. They got help from a couple of nonprofits in the city, started lodging more formal complaints with the property owner. And around that time, the property owner just started suing people for eviction. So the issues have been going on for many, many years. But as they got particularly bad last fall is when things really started to heat up. Wait a minute. What did the suits allege? Because I assume the complaint was not like this tenant is a pain in the ass. The complaint was probably something else that can get you evicted. What were they claiming that these tenants had done that merited eviction? That's right. So in pretty much all of the cases, uh, the property owner was alleging non-payment of rent. Obviously, every case is different. But for the majority of the tenants that I spoke with at the building, they say that they were intentionally withholding rent because of the poor conditions at the building. So 
at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, DC instituted an eviction moratorium. They basically said, you can't file an eviction. You can't kick anybody out of their housing during this public health emergency. They did it as a way to try to keep tenants in place and safe while COVID was raging on outside. That also meant that tenants felt more liberated to to vocalize their complaints and stand up for their rights. They knew that their landlords and their property manager couldn't be vindictive or like act in retribution if they were to withhold their rent and like allege poor conditions and try to make things better for themselves. Uh, so a lot of these tenants did that, you know, back in March, April 2020, they said, you know what, until you fix all these problems, until the pests are gone, until we fix the pipes that are leaking gas, we're not going to give you rent. In D.C., because, you know, it is a city where the government recognizes people's right to go on rent strike. That's what a lot of tenants in buildings across D.C. have done. Um, but last fall, especially in the months after the eviction moratorium expired, people felt liberated to start filing eviction cases again. And in the case of these tenants at this particular building, the vast majority of people there are now being sued for eviction because of the non-payment of rent. So in this case, they had begun withholding their rent during the time when you couldn't evict somebody. And then that moratorium ends and they are still withholding their rent because they say there are heinous conditions and they are on rent strike. The management sues them saying, look, you haven't paid rent in three years. Is that the long and the short of it? That's the long and the short of it. Yeah. And in some of these cases, you know, the tenants aren't disputing the amount at all. One of the, mm -hmm. the women that I talked to, she's like, yeah, I, you know, owe probably between twenty dollars and $30,000 in unpaid rent. And I shouldn't have to pay that rent because my life is at risk in this building that I live in. And I refuse to pay that amount until things get fixed around here. We'll also say that in a couple of these cases, the judges that are overseeing the eviction suits actually lowered the tenant's rent by mm -hmm. a couple hundred dollars a month, acknowledging the poor conditions. I mean, I will say in general, like rent strikes have become increasingly common. We talked a little bit about that, but I think during the pandemic, rent strikes became a very important way for tenants to make demands. It's very hard on an individual level to sort of force repairs that affect an entire building. But there have been a couple of dozen cases of rent strikes happening, particularly in Ward 1 in D.C. Columbia Heights, Brightwood Park, the north to like central north part of the city. Got it. There have been a, a handful of very successful cases there where rent strikes have turned into like property managers writing off back rent or making extensive repairs, things like that. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Okay, so you said that there were 13 suits filed. How many people have actually been evicted? And then what about the others? 
so far, one family was evicted. A couple of the other cases ended with the tenants proactively moving out. Um, so just sort of writing things off. And then the rest of them, the vast majority of them are ongoing. And so in these cases where you say the judge has has lowered the rent, are those cases still ongoing, but with a lower rent backdrop? They are, yes. And two of the women that I spoke with for the story, they're actually seeking a jury trial. You know, they want to be able to point to a jury and say, these are the conditions that I'm facing. You know, I shouldn't have to give up my apartment or pay for the conditions that I'm living in. They want to be able to, to bring that to a wider audience. So this building, it's a rent-stabilized building, which means it's subject to some degree of rent control. Does that mean anything about the income level of the tenants or not? So anybody can live in a rent-stabilized building. There are a couple of tenants in the building who use some form of housing assistance, but that's not really what we're talking about here. It's sort of a non-factor in this story. Mm -hmm. The problem with rent-stabilized buildings, as the people who own them might tell you, is that rent-stabilized buildings are pretty expensive to run. Um, mm -hmm. Buildings that are subject to rent stabilization were built before 1976, so they tend to be a little bit older, and it's more expensive to maintain older buildings. Right. A lot of people who run or own rent-stabilized buildings will tell you that when they don't receive rent, especially during the pandemic, their margins are a lot smaller and it's harder for them to make upgrades and repairs and do all the things that tenants demand and like have a right to ask for. So this is one of the bigger issues at play, which is property owners say, well, if I'm not getting money, how can you expect me to make the repairs that you want me to? Right. And that's the kind of free market people's argument against rent control. That's is right. That, is that it means that these owners are going to be running substandard or not as good as they could be units. There's also a difference, though, between like rent control, meaning you can't raise it more than some percent a year and getting zero because your tenants are refusing to pay. That's right. I also think that, you know, people who are in favor of D.C.'s rent stabilization law will point out that like it is not rent control. There are not set caps on it. The rent stabilization law in D.C. says that property owners can raise rents by whatever inflation is plus another couple of percentage points, depending on how old you are. So I think the sort of array of, uh, of opinions on this one. Okay, so as you said, DC is known for having generally pretty pro-tenant laws. They obviously can only go so far because for a lot of businesses that run buildings or for individuals who might have some units, at a certain point, you do need the person you're renting to to pay rent or leave. Under the law, what is someone supposed to do if they are going to go on rent strike? Like, are you supposed to put your money in escrow? Is there some some way of like proving that you're doing this in good faith and not just because you don't want to pay? Yeah, I mean, in, in certain cases, once you reach a stage in litigation, tenants are putting their rent money into escrow that, you know, the money's held by the court. But I, I also think that it's more of a, a sort of like ideological point than a financial one in some cases. Like, their point is, I shouldn't have to pay this money at all if I'm living like this. Meaning like the month of June 2022 was so appalling and was I was not getting a legal or acceptable unit in exchange for my rent. And therefore, that rent should be re retroactively reduced to zero. That's right. And recourse sort of depends on what your situation is, which sounds very both generic and obvious. But for example, if I'm not actively being sued for eviction, you know, my property manager is not trying to repossess my apartment, but I think that the conditions I'm living in are unacceptable and violate the city's housing code. I can proactively file a complaint against my property manager or my property owner and seek back rent if I am able to document the poor conditions, blah, blah, blah. You've covered this for a while, 
What's the batting average on, on complaints like that? Do tenants often prevail? Do they often drag out so long that the tenant leaves? I do not have data on that, but mm -hmm. it is... It, it is certainly a realistic goal. I mean, this is in part why the Office of the Tenant Advocate in D.C. exists. So you, you certainly can uh, get your money back, I think, if you document poor conditions well enough and you have a convincing case. So in the case of Langdon, is there anything that the, the city government, the city bureaucracy is doing to address the specifics of these folks' situation? Well, I think this is part of the problem, which is that unfortunately, and it sounds sort of cavalier to say this, but rent stabilized buildings that are in bad condition where tenants complain about their bad conditions, like it's sort of a dime a dozen, you know, the Department of Building has sent out inspectors to uh, the property. DC Fire and EMS has responded to the property, you know, Washington Gas has come out to the property. They have had plenty of interactions with government agencies, but there has been no meaningful attempt, as far as I know, to intervene and try to escalate matters against the property owner. You mean that, like, I, as a homeowner, could violate the fire code and not have to ever, like, pay consequences for, you know, endangering my neighbors or whatever I would do? There is the way that things are supposed to work, and then there is the right. way that things ultimately work out. So, yes, <laughs> ostensibly, ostensibly, Mike, if you're violating the fire code and endangering the lives of your neighbors, yes, you should receive some pretty hefty fines and been mm -hmm. told, you know, fix this or else. But ultimately, there are so many bad actors in the city, that's not the way things tend to work out. There could be fines levied against somebody, but it can take months and months and months to enforce those fines be paid or conditions issues be mitigated. Uh, I'm sure you can imagine. Right. And if the owners of this building paid those sorts of fines, I don't mean back to the tenants, I mean to the, the city or to the, whatever agency is, is citing them. Yeah. I mean, as, as far as I know, at up until the point that I had reported the story, they, they had not had fines levied against them for the conditions issues outlined by the tenants. So you mentioned there's been one successful eviction, a bunch that are still uh, in process. What is the, the timeline for those cases to conclude or, or other sort of next steps to happen? Well, eviction cases often take quite a long period of time to resolve. In the case of Two of the women I spoke to for this story, their next hearings aren't until the beginning of the fall, so like September, October. So it could be quite a while before their specific cases um, see any sort of resolution. You know, it's likely that the cases might not reach a jury trial. They could be ordered to go into mediation with their property owner, um, but it'll probably take another six months at least before we see any sort of resolution. And are these landlords now like trying to turn around with the people who have left and rent out the spaces to new tenants or, or is the idea to empty out the building and do something with it? Uh, I asked that question of the, the attorney representing the property owner. I did not get an answer back. Um, so I cannot speak to the specific intentions of the property owner with this particular building. What I can say is that in general, this is a pretty normal business model, which is to buy a rent stabilized building. Over time, attrition happens, people leave. And then once the entire building is vacant, they try to renovate it and then flip it and rent it out at market rate so they can have a little bit of a higher margin to make repairs and, and get more money. Is there a resource out there where like if I want to have a rent strike, but I don't want to like set myself up to be evicted on a technicality, I can sort of get instructions for what to do to how, how to do it right? Yeah, there, there are plenty of organizations that do this kind of work. I would say that if you're trying to understand what your legal rights are, I would turn to the Office of the Tenant Advocate, which is a government organization. They have really, really great 
folks who work there, lawyers who do pro bono work and help tenants out. There are a couple of privately run organizations that also do a lot of like rent strike work and tenant organizing with a stomp out slumlords is the biggest of those. They've organized a couple dozen rent strikes. And then One DC and, and Rising for Justice are the two organizations that are working with the tenants at this building that I just wrote about. Hey, Morgan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Mike. Before you go, here is some quick news. DC's Department of Employment Services found that over 1,200 workers were not paid the tipped or full minimum wage in 2020. The audit was in response to restaurant owners' claims that they were fined for very minor payment discrepancies. It's unclear how many of the 1,200 impacted workers were a result of these sorts of small errors or from more serious wage theft. Meanwhile, after a lengthy debate, the service lane along the Cleveland Park corridor of Connecticut Avenue will remain closed to cars. The space will be used for pop-ups, for outdoor seating for restaurants, and a farmer's market. The car ban has sparked tension between pedestrians who say they want more space and businesses who need customers to be able to park. And finally, the Vienna and Dunn-Loring stations are reopening today after weeks of construction work. Now construction is moving on from the Orange Line to the Green Line. From July 22nd to September 4th, five Green Line stations between Fort Totten and Greenbelt will shut down to replace rails. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.